And that song goes right along with uh, our series on Ephesians, Living Strong in the Lord. The, the armor of the Lord comes right out of the book of Ephesians. And so we started this a couple of weeks ago, and then Doug was telling me, he said, we got a pretty low crowd tonight. I said, it's not as low as it was last Sunday night. Of course, we weren't here last Sunday night. Maybe you thought we had church, but you know we weren't here. Uh, but we're going to pick up where we left off, uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read the uh, first few verses of Ephesians 1. But before I read the verses, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about something. Is salvation some of God and some of me? Or is salvation all of God and none of me? Is salvation some of God and some of me? Or is salvation all of God and none of me? What must I do to be saved is a question that we ask from our perspective. We see it asked in the scripture. The rich young ruler asked that question of the Lord Jesus. But from heaven's perspective, the question is, what did God do that I might be saved? Uh, so we think of things from our perspective, and from our perspective, salvation is a two-sided coin. On the one side is God's activity, and on the other side is is our response to God's activity. But from heaven's perspective, it's all God. Now, I'm not trying to make a theological statement tonight. What I'm doing is showing you what the Bible clearly says in the book of Ephesians and trying to help us wrap our mind around that, understanding that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. So from thinking of, thinking of that, we begin to read in verse one of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now verse 4 is our verse for tonight. One verse. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And there we see salvation from heaven's perspective. All of God, it is God who wills, it is God who works, it is God who chooses, it is God who calls, it is God who saves, and it is God who seals. Even our response to God, or to his grace, is not our own, because the Bible says on over in Ephesians chapter two, and we'll look at a few of those verses in a minute, for by grace you're saved, through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God is at work. And so first, you see the first point on the screen. 
related to verse 4, and that is God's choice precedes our own. So how far does it precede it? Well, it's often been said that uh, before a person's conversion, he sees inscribed over the door leading to heaven, whosoever will may come. But upon entering heaven, he looks back and to his amazement, he sees the words chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, students of scripture down through the ages have sought to reconcile the tension between those two truths that seem to stand in absolute contradiction to each other. I'm not sure we can reconcile them. I think we just need to let them stand in contradiction sometimes and not fall off on one side or the other, but just to let the Bible say what it says and understand that what we're seeing here is the greatness of God's love. And so for that reason, I want to turn to chapter 2 and read verses 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And again, we see Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So any contradiction is, is not with God. It's within our small minds as we have a hard time grasping the love of God. We think that last Sunday night or the Sunday night before when we had the we had the baptism, it, uh, last Sunday morning we had the baptism, some of you were here for that, and we baptized those little children, and you looked at each one of them, and I did, and I saw how God could love each one of them. You ever looked in the mirror and wondered how God could love you? I mean, God can love little children, can't he? But do, do you know that when God loved you as a little child, he saw what you would be as an adult, all of it, all of it. And he loved you anyway. That's the amazing thing about the grace of God. God's choice that preceded your own took place knowing full well every fault and every failure, even the ones you haven't seen and you haven't experienced yet. But God's grace extends beyond all that in ways that we don't understand. So we're considering the activity of God in eternity past. It began in eternity past, and then he unfolds how it manifests itself in time, and then how God himself seals it for eternity future. So the great truth is that before time ever was, before man ever was, before man ever sinned, God on his own without any indication from us or what we, of what we would do, what we would choose on our own, God chose us in him. According to 
Paul in 2 Timothy 1.9. Here's another verse for you. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. I think that's sort of before you were born, not only before you were born, but before we can even think about. Now, does God's choice contradict our own? That's one of the big questions that people have when they discuss all this. This is the question that seems to generate controversy and confusion, but that's not a problem to me. Because what I see the scripture saying is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's plan. That God reveals his love, even revealing his love in these verses, revealing his love for you and for me long before we were ever born, not when we were lovely. We never were lovely or lovable, but always unlovely and unlovable as God saw what we would be, and yet he extended his grace to us. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me. That's what he said to his disciples. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So number one, very clearly, God's choice precedes our own. I can't explain that to you in any other way than to read you the scripture and just let it say what it says because that's clearly what it says. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Number two, God's choice led to our own. In other words, in choosing, God leads us to make a choice of our own. God moves us. And here's the miracle of grace. God encircles us, encompasses us with, with his love, brings us under his saving influence. You, you understand, of course, that no one of us is saved without God's activity, without God's advanced planning. And we'll talk more about that later. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That's simply saying God's choice in advance brings you under the influence of his love so that you will yield up your life so that you will willingly surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. So that Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and by the way, you remember some things. I had probably three or four conversations with N.H. Smith. That's Reed Smith's dad. Brother N.H. was the interim pastor at Agricola when I went to Agricola. And so he told me some funny stories We'll talk about those funny stories, right? Not, not tonight. But Brother N.H. was a character. 
But one day he was talking with me about this verse, and he, he was telling me, he said, I'm trying to grasp the meaning of this verse. I was too young to be able to grasp the meaning. Well, I'm older now, and I still can't grasp the meaning. Look at this verse. By his doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Is salvation some of God and some of you? Or is salvation all of God and none of you? It's the latter. It is all of God and none of you. You can't do anything to be saved. All you can do is put your faith in what God has done for you. And in the miracle of His grace, He brings you to that very decision so that God's choice before eternity, before time began, from all eternity, leads to a choice of your own. You come to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you did that as an eight-year-old boy or an 18-year-old young person, or if you do that tonight as a senior adult, it is God's activity that brings you to that point. God in His grace and mercy. Number three, God's choice secures our own. Now, <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, it just means that uh, if it's up to me, I'm not going to make it. You, you understand the feeling? If, if it's up to me to be secure and to be secure in my own salvation, that's what makes us a little different than the Methodist. The Methodist, by the way, John Wesley believed in, uh, in I love his view of sanctification. He, he believed that sanctification was a crisis. He didn't believe in sinless perfection, but he, he believed that it gave you a passion to be that and be the kind of person that God wanted you to be. But Methodists believe that you can lose your salvation. If you got to hang on to this horse, you're going to get thrown off because you can't do it. You can't do it. And speaking of the times of the end, Jesus said in Matthew and Mark chapter 13, verses 19 through 22, those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never shall. And unless the Lord shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. Is it possible to lead the elect astray? These are the people that God has chosen. Are you, are you, you're saying, Brother, are you telling us that God chooses who will be saved. I'm saying God set his love on everybody. That's what I believe. I believe God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will all come to repentance? No, they don't all come to repentance. Not everybody comes to repentance. Some don't yield themselves up to God's will in their lives. 
But this is what Paul said in Philippians 1.6. And he said, your salvation is not secure because you have chosen Christ, but because he's chosen you. He said, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. That means he'll bring it to an end. He'll bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. His choice does not contradict your own, but his choice calls forth your own and then brings it to completion. Number four, God's choice controls our own. In other words, it's in the verse here, verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now here is the miracle that takes place in a person's life. Let's take a person, I can give you examples of people, I could call their name, like the man who sat here on the front row with, his, with a, my wife and I several weeks ago, came from Camden, Dudley Handley. I remember the day his wife called me and said, Dudley wants a divorce. And she said, would you pray? And I said, certainly I'll pray. And she said, I told Dudley he hasn't given me grounds for divorce, and I'll not divorce him. Several weeks later, she called me, and she said, Dudley has said he's given me grounds for divorce. And he moved out, moved into a trailer. This was a man whose heart was hard against God. How's that man's heart going to get changed? How's he going to be any different? How's he going to be transformed from that person on that day to being a person who's going to sit on the front pew of the church, to being a person who owns a, who owned a Christian bookstore, to being a person who now owns a Christian bed and breakfast, to being a person who loves the Lord and loves his wife and loves his family and loves the preacher? How does a person get changed like that? What, what happens? Well, what happens is God puts the desire in that person's life to be something different than they've been before, holy and blameless. Not only does he put that passion in them, he enables them to be that so that God's very choice, God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you a different heart. That's what the Old Testament says. It says it in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. I'll put a new heart in them. I'll take the stony heart out of them. Some of you have stony hearts. you got hard hearts. God will take that stony heart out of you, and he'll give you a heart of flesh. And he says, I'm going to cause them to walk in my ways. Explain that to me. God said, I will cause them to walk in my ways. So, before the beginning, God chose to save you. God chose to lead you to a moment in time when you would choose to follow Christ. God chose to secure your salvation from before time for all eternity. And God chose to create within you a desire to be what he wanted you to be. So that you would wake up every morning and say, I want to be what God wants me to be. Do I wake up every morning and say that? No, no, I don't. Some days I don't want to be what God wants me to be. <clears throat> Isn't that true about you? 
But you know what? It seems to be in those days, like Jeremiah said, on those days when I say I'll not speak anymore in his name, I don't seem to be able to do anything else. As bad as I want to, as the farmer would say about his mule sometimes, kick out of the traces, God just puts me right back in and says, no, I have a different plan for your life. I have a different purpose for your life. I love the passage in Psalms that says, David said, uh, I would have been hurled headlong had the Lord not been the one who was holding my hand. God seems to be in control of the life of a saint, making us to be the people that he wants us to be because his plan and purpose from our life well, let me just say it this way. The genesis of salvation occurred before the genesis of creation. And whether it be the creation of the world or the salvation of your soul, there's one cause, one prime mover behind it all, and that's God. God chose us before the beginning, chosen to be his, chosen to stand in his presence. He didn't choose us because there was something in us that made us desirable or lovely. We were altogether undesirable, always will be altogether undesirable. But God, that's what Paul says here, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, brought us in the saving circle of his love and led us to make a decision that we wouldn't have made it all without his work. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you. In you Now imagine that. You came to church tonight, I know, because you had to. You, you may not even know why you came. Maybe because you were playing the instrument. Maybe because you were leading the music. Maybe because you were preaching the sermon or the preacher's wife. Or maybe your mama drug you to church and you didn't really want to come. But ultimately, who got you here? Ultimately, who got you in church the first time you ever went? Ultimately, how did you ever get to hear the message? And ultimately, how did you ever respond? And ultimately, how are you going to get to heaven? It is God who is at work in you to will and to work his good pleasure. Planned it before the foundation of the world, executed it, implemented it in your life, and he will bring it to fulfillment. Let's pray.